Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. That cursed is the man who dies on a tree. And so they really wanted to have it in such a way as that. And then finally, I think the Christian a little different. When I look at it, I don't look at the Phoenicians and they raised him up, or the Romans with their fine torture, or the disgusting way that the Jews would say of a crucifixion. For us, you know, when I look at the crucifixion and the cross, I see the glory of it all. We're saved by the preaching of the cross. Jesus died on the cross. We make a lot about his blood, and we should, but remember, it's just blood. What really happened was, it was a bloody mess like the Old Testament sacrifices were, and it was the amount of blood and the torture and all the spilling of the blood that Jesus didn't die of a heart attack. He didn't die of asphyxiation. He died a bloody death. So that's why the blood is so important as it connects itself to all that's said in the Old Testament. And so as I look at that, it's a horrible death. But for us, we are here today because of the cross. And so there's glory in that. And there's great majesty in that. And I hope that we would see how important that is. Well, let's go back to the crucifixion. I have listed here what happened at the cross during the crucifixion. You can pretty well read that yourself. Uh, very simply stated, uh, it's not in that list, but is important. Either before Jesus was starting to carry his cross or after he got to the crucifixion site... You have to understand that other passages of Scripture, they had already taken the robe off of him. They'd been already betting for his, you know, dividing up his garments, which I think is more of his underclothes, his undergarments. And then that robe, they didn't want to divide up with everybody because it was seamless and worth something. So they were betting for all of that. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but just for you have it now in the story because it's important. They kept it all together. They cast lots for it. They bet for that particular thing. I said all that to remind you. That was all happening after. Watch this. Remember, they, they whipped him, they put the robe on him, and how much time, three, four hours maybe, they were taking him through this process, and now they're ready to crucify him. So I want you to think of a nearly dried Band-Aid on your wet wound that is now nearly dry, and someone then ripping that Band-Aid off, all right? So in other words, it re-exposed nearly all of the wounds that he already had. And that's just the beginning of all of this. So when they go through the crucifixion, the person that would do that, they would assemble the wood together, make sure it was tight. They grabbed the person's arms. Usually he's fighting if he could. I don't think Jesus fought because he was willingly giving his life for us. It's possible that even Jesus says, over here, move this bike. I don't know. But I know this, that he went through that for us and the person who did this had done this hundreds of times perhaps, driving in the nails. He's laying on the ground on this cross. The hole is already dug. The ropes are already attached. They're now pulling the cross up. It is now sliding and moving towards the hole. Jesus, as well as the other um, malefactors, that cross then falls into the hole. It's not just a little hole. It's a deep hole to be able to withstand all of the weight of a man, 100, 150 pounds maybe, the weight of the wood, another 100 pounds maybe, 250, 300 pounds. And all of that at one time drops like a rock into a bottom of a hole, and when it hits the bottom, it stops immediately. It's not cushioned. And all that nail, all those nails in his hands are wrenched. And that's what he did for us on the cross. And you could read more of the details and how horrible this is. Picture number eight now. 
Again, I look at God's amazing love for us and the pictures that John has left for us. The next part of the scripture, if you want to read there, is found in verses 19 through 22. Pilate also wrote an inscription and he put it on the cross. Actually, he put it on a placard, other passages of the scripture, which was very common in those days to indicate why that person was being um, executed. What was his crime? What did he do? So he wrote it, and on it it said, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now let's pause for a moment. You need to understand this. We look at that and we say, right on, that's right, Jesus was from Nazareth, so he's a Nazarene, and yes, he is king of the Jews, he's king of kings, lord of lords, but he's also king of the Jews, he just hadn't set up his kingdom, his earthly kingdom yet, but he's still king of the Jews, all right, he's lord, you know, we say if he's not lord of all, he's not lord at all, I don't really buy that statement very much, because he is lord of all, whether I make him lord or not, so he's lord. Now that being said, here's what I want you to know, when Pilate put of Nazarene, uh, the Jesus he is saying that as a slap in the face, a poke in the eye to the Jews. Because the Jews felt like that little town of Nazareth was a little no-name, tiny little town that nothing but a bunch of ragamuffin nobodies come out of that town. And look at you guys, this is your king over here. Look at, he's from the little town. Look at you guys. Oh, that kind of mockery even back to them. And don't be too, too smug because if you remember when the disciples were being called in John chapter 1, we already studied this, they looked at them and they said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Again, reply, implying Christ again. So they were kind of mocking again the Jews and what was happening. And all of this is to continually to essentially humanly, humanly degrade Christ. All right. That's what's happening with that special sign that went up. Therefore, many of the Jews read that inscription and they were incensed by it. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, which means that everybody could see it walking by. Generally, it was a place. It was up high or by a road or both. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. That means anybody could read it anywhere in that area because they would speak any one of those languages. And by the way, I like to think in terms of Latin, meaning that if there was any Spanish origin, it might have come out of that Latin part, but that's Ponzism. It says, so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, don't write that, king of the Jews. If you want to do it, then say it, he said he was king of the Jews. And I love what Pilate said. What I've written, I have written. There's three things that that kind of brings to my mind. That no matter what circumstance that Christ goes through, nothing, nothing, nothing can diminish his power and authority over that situation. This is almost a whole message to take you through all the prophecies of Christ that are fulfilled just in the crucifixion and that Christ orchestrated it so that they would be fulfilled and these prophecies were written thousands of years before he was here because we are brass-headed and iron-necked and we needed to have it written ahead of time so that when it did happen we would know that he wrote it then and that this is true and that he is different than any other figure in history regarding the redemption of man. That being said... He is still in control no matter what was going on, so he controlled his own death. Another truth I got out of this is that the world could clearly see who Jesus was, king of the Jews. And then finally, that no matter what, nothing can change the truth. The truth is unchangeable about who Christ is. Let me see if I could picture it this way. The value in Christ was never once diminished for what he's done on the cross. So when he was crucified and all that he went through, he was still king of kings and lord of lords. His kingdom, his earthly, you know, kingdom yet. Millennia was not established. I got some money right here. Don't have a lot, but today it's a lot. I have a $50 bill. 
How many of you really would like to have this $50 bill to take your family, or maybe you and your maid out or friend out for lunch? How many would like to have my $50? I like, I like, I see that. That's good. I'm not going to give it to you, but th- th- this is a $50 bill. Now, this $50 bill is real. It's not out of a Monopoly set, and it has the value of $50. It's a real bill. Now, let's say, let's say I take this and I wrinkle this nice, snappy, brand new, nearly brand new $50 bill, and I give it to you like this. Is it worth any less? No. Let's say I take this $50 bill right now, and I, I step on it. Does it make it any less value? No. If I take it and I rub it under my armpits, or some of yours, all right, and spit on it, and I slap it, does it make it any less? It may look less, feel less, smell less, but it's not any less value. And so what was going on with Christ on the cross actually, in my opinion, continued to, for us who are Christians, confirm who He is. So in a sense to us, there's a value being raised because of the confirmation that Christ is who He was. Although He was always Christ, He was always God, Messiah for us. So let's keep that in mind. Picture number nine. His clothing was being gambled for. Psalm 22 speaks of that. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts and part to everybody as soldiers a tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, so then they didn't want to divide that up. So he says, let's not tear it. Let's cast lots for it. Let's decide whose it shall be. And that fulfilled the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots this shows again the amazing control. I mean, finally at the end of all this, you'd finally say, listen, guys, l- l- listen, l- listen, 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 guys, look up here. Look, look. You did everything else. You got to do this with my clothes even? And wipe them all out. He didn't do that. Perfect control. He knew what was going to happen. He knew why it was going to happen. Picture number 10. Jesus' mother standing by the foot of the cross. I really believe it was at the foot of the cross, very nearby. But standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother, his mother's sister, Salome, Mary, the wife of Clopas, which I think was James the Less, uh, mother of James the Less, and Mary Magdalene that came from the west shore of the Sea of Galilee area, Magdala. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and everyone, who would that be? John, okay. So he saw his mother and he looked at John. Looked at John, looked at his mother. And then he said to his mother, said, woman, behold your son. And he wasn't saying, behold your son, like, look up here at me, I'm your son. I believe he was saying, woman, I want you to look at John. He is now going to be the son that I'm not earthly going to be to you. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. That is so huge to me, to look what Jesus did. Now, watch this. We know in the Jewish teaching it says that the oldest son is to take care of the siblings when parents are gone. So that now opens up the question, why in the world didn't Jesus give you know, his mother, that's his responsibility, to the half-brothers, etc.? My opinion. My opinion is this, is that they weren't saved yet. We do know that. And so because they weren't saved yet and Jesus wanted to put, them into a, uh, uh, put her into a relationship where they are saved that wouldn't fit in. Another reason could be is the fact that they weren't around. The only two that were there were Peter and John, and Peter was way off hiding in the bushes somewhere in the shadows, all right? So all that was there was John. Third reason, all that 
equal being said. You now have John who really loved Jesus. Jesus really loved him. So he really kept his eye on John. Already knowing that he's going to die and have to give his mom to someone to take care of. Knew that John is the best guy to do that because he's the most responsible, most, most loving, knew mo most about Christ, knew most about his background, yada yada. So he was giving him to John. What that tells me is that no matter how bad it got for Christ on the cross, he was still thinking of others. So who did he think of? He looked upon all these guys that were out there and he said, Forgive them for they know not what they do. He then looked at the thief on the cross next to him and he says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. So he loved these guys saying, Father, forgive them. Take this guy into paradise with me. John, you take care of my mother. Bottom line is Jesus was always thinking about others. And I really love this because... He said, take her into your... And he was in his own household. I hope that when we have widows in our church, that our household will be the church. And I hope there'd be some of you that feel so inclined through maybe your gifted or your passion or your understanding or your skill set that you would take that person in that basically is childless and that you would bring them into your own household and whatever privileges your family have, they have for you. I hope we would do that for them. That's a little bit about Jesus and others. Picture number 11. Jesus was given sour wine to drink. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, that means we're coming to the end of all of this, everything that needed to be done was basically done except for one more thing, and you'll see that in a moment. Been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. Ooh, I am thirsty. So a jar full, a jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they, the soldiers, I believe, put a sponge full of that sour, cheap, little wine that these soldiers mixed up for themselves and drank. They put it upon a branch of hyssop. The hyssop is the kind of branch, like an oak branch, and brought it up to his mouth so he would drink. Now look up here for a second. I've got to go quickly now. We're really out of time. Um, there, Jesus was offered something to drink early on to kind of deaden the pain. He, didn't, he said no to that because he wanted to fully experience everything, perhaps. The point of the matter is that is not what he wanted to drink. He did need to drink something at the end. Why? Because the Old Testament said that he would be thirsty and that he would take something to drink, and it would be this kind of wine. The Old Testament scripture actually said sour wine, just like this says. Now, that being said... It's interesting how that Jesus, still in command, still on the throne, still in control, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, he's up there thirsty, and think what possibly went into his mind. Look at these blokes down there. They're so concerned about this, they're doing all of this stuff, but they forgot one more thing. There's one more prophecy that needs to get fulfilled. They're not doing anything. They're all busy down there. Hey, I'm thirsty. So he then sovereignly made an event occur so that he would then again fulfill another prophecy. Now, why people can't see that Jesus is Christ, He is the Lord, He is God, I'll never know. These are the little details that all come together. Again, John was there. He wrote them all. It was true. He wanted us to hear the truth so we would believe. All right, picture number 12. Jesus dying on the cross. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He says, it is finished, and He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. Isn't that cool? No, it's not cool. You know why it's not cool? Because when I read it, it was like, it's finished, okay. Let's uh, say grace and home. No, when he said he finished, other passages said, and he cried, it is finished. It's like a carpenter finishes a table, making this table, and he finally says, hey, everybody, it's done, it's finished, come look at it. It's like shepherds out in the field that finally bring in all of their sheep into the pen. They checked all the areas, make sure all the sheep are in there, count all the sheep. Everybody's accounted for. All right, they got the food ready. The night is now over. Okay, guys, we're finished. If you worked up in the steel belt of America, they don't yell at his finish. You know what they do? Boop! 
they hit that big old whistle. It's finished. Well, in a sense, it's Jesus' whistle. It's finished. It's completed. All that was necessary to be done at that moment was now done, and he's now ready to die. Jesus now dies on the cross. Yeah, Jews very much involved. Yep, Romans certainly involved. No doubt, the people then, the people before then, and the people today, and the people in this room at this pulpit, yep, we're all part of that. We all put him to death in some measure or another. But it was Jesus upon the cross who says, It's finished! Kind of like a celebration. I can go home now. Amen to that. All right. Last picture. Jesus with a spear in his side. It goes through the rest of the chapter here, and there's a lot of stuff in here that's good to know, but for right now, just pick it up at verse 30, and we'll bring this thing quickly to a close. It says, Therefore, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said it was finished, and then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was the high day, asked Pilate that they, the legs might be broken. Now, why would they break the legs? Because all the time the guys or anybody on the cross they couldn't breathe. They were suffocating up there, so they kept pushing themselves up on their bottom feet, and they would raise themselves up with their arms to <sighs> hours after hours. Remember, it's a slow, painful, public, humiliating death on the cross that people walking by the street and up on the hill could see, doing this until you ran out of strength. But to make sure that you were really dead, what they, all they had to do was just come along and smash your legs with a club and smash your legs with a club and smash your legs. And by then, you had no more strength. So yeah, you were crucified, you die, the blood loss elements, all of that. But eventually, it was just a suffocation that caused you to die. They rear back the club. They're ready to smack Jesus' legs, but they don't do it because Jesus willed himself to death at that point. And that, again, fulfills scripture that said in the Old Testament that not a bone in his body would be broken. So he ended up actually dying. But that wasn't enough for these guys. One more time. We're going to take a spear, make sure sure he's dead. Maybe even desecrate the body a little bit more. I don't know. As they went through all of that, Jesus was finally dead. Look in verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. When I think of that blood and water, I think of the fact that there's no doubt Jesus was dead. His insides were now coming out. In the book of Psalms, it talks about that his heart became like wax and melted. I may read too much into that, I get it, but it could be that his heart that has some bit of form like wax does, it's pliable, some wax is, but then when it melts, it just kind of oozes right out and there's blood and water that is coming right out of him. I'm not convinced it was the spear that broke his heart cavity. I think it could very well be that part of it could have been a broken heart. A love, broken heart for us. I don't know. All I know is that he went through every bit of that and more than I have time to describe or even could describe so that his death on the cross would be so final, so full that we'd have eternal life. I'm going to give you another ponzism. I won't keep you long, I promise. You know when it says that Jesus Christ endured all things for us? I think when we go through pain, no matter how bad our pain is, whether we get, we're in a fiery wreck a building collapses on us. Our body is racked with pain because of cancer and there's no more they can deaden it. Or we're out in the field and we've been shot up and we're in pain screaming medic and we can't do this. I want you for a moment, no matter what pain we experience, Jesus experienced even more. 
That's amazing love. That brings the story to today. Well, I've given you some things to think about. Don't pack it up. It's at the end of your outline. Go home and own that for yourself. It's a picture of victory over sin because Jesus rose again. We'll talk about that next week. It's power in your own life because once you trust Christ, that resurrection power lives inside of you and it wants to get out and live that life through you. It's a picture of tremendous faith because now, because Jesus died on the cross, I can live by the faith of the Son of God inside of me. It's a picture of change, of priority in my life. Everything I do, I want to do it to promote the cross of Christ. Perhaps better said would be, I want to promote the Christ who died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross and he said it was finished, he paid the price for our sin once and for all, never to have to be paid for again. Jesus never has to go to the cross again and again and again and again and again and again, no matter how big, how pervasive, or how old an earthly religion is that says that you have to re-crucify Christ. doesn't have to happen. Jesus says it's done. You don't have to do it again. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and thank you for allowing me to go a little bit longer. I hope you picked up some insights about Christ and what he went through. But also at the same time that it would bring you to the point of saying, that is truth and I believe. And so maybe right now is the time for you to call upon the Lord to be your Savior. To say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God who died I believe you died there for me on the cross by your amazing love for me. And I thank you that when you shed your blood, it was a once and for all death on the cross for me. And I believe that so much that I am counting on that and you for the forgiveness of all of my sin. And so I'm receiving you as my Savior. But Lord, at the same time, I thank you that you're receiving me into you. When I trust you, I'm so unworthy of this. I can't come to you by any good works. I can't come to you by believing and being good. I just come to you as a broken, lost person, totally without strength and hope, separated for eternity from you. And now I'm casting every belief I have on you and you alone. It's not much, Lord. It's a tiny bit of belief, but it's real, and you know it. And I want you to know that that's all that Jesus asks in return for your personal salvation is your faith alone in Christ alone because it's by His grace alone. Would you now hear the truth of what John saw and experienced and was inspired by God to write for you today? Would you believe it is true for you and now put your faith in Jesus Christ? And if you're doing that by faith alone, I want you to know that God says you have eternal life on the authority of His Word. Would there be anyone in here today that's saying, yep, today's the day. I'm stepping over that line. I'm placing my faith in Christ, in Him alone. I'd like to pray for you. Now, I won't have you stand up. You can certainly fill out the card. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. But standing up, filling out a card, walking an aisle, raising your hand, even me praying for you won't get you into heaven. But I want to know if today is the day you trusted Christ as Savior. So now all this is afterwards. All this is for us to know. Now, I'm not going to have you come forward and... I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I'd like to know, is there anyone in here that today you now believe Jesus Christ is the one who died on that cross for you? The facts are there. The event is there. The reality is for you. Would you believe? Is there anyone in here today that has trusted Christ and would like for me to pray for you? When you slip up your hand, put it up, put it down. It's done and over with. Don't have to say anything, do anything. Nobody's looking at you. 
I'm just going to quietly and anonymously pray for you. Is there anyone at all? If you did it today, put your hand up. Let me see it. If today's the day you did it, put it up, put it down. If you've already done that, my friend, then um, the crucifixion is an event that did happen in the past, but it's an event of reality that we look at like pictures again and again and again, like wedding pictures, birthday pictures, Christmas pictures, mission trip pictures. And when you look at it, look at those little details. Who was in the picture? Where did we go? What did we do? What did it smell like? What was the meaning behind it? All this of the cross is what gave you eternal life in Christ. Our gracious Heavenly Father, help us now to take these truths that we embrace, we believe, that we will defend, and now go public with them, especially as we're going to present you, the resurrected Savior, next week. Now, Father, I just thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.